week's edition of the Sportsaholic Podcast. As always, I'm Max Zucker, and on the line is Mr. Sean Conway. Sean, how you feeling today? What's new in your world, sir? Not much. Just kind of feeling uh, that little bit of anxiety and dread that everyone I feel in this nation yes. is feeling while we're waiting yes. for the the election to uh, you know come to an end with the all the results and everything and. I feel like it, after the results are all tallied, it's not even over. I mean, everything that's been going, everyone's just kind of dreadful. I mean, usually we talk about what we've been cooking, but I have not made anything this whole week. Lindsay and I have been too anxious to cook anything, and we have just like ate out and ate this terrible food all week. And now, at least tonight, we'll be making apple cider and crusted uh, pork chops mm. with Brussels sprouts and, a, and bacon bake as well. Yeah. So at least we'll have something cooking soon. And, and hopefully uh, some other news on, in, in that non-sports department we briefly just mentioned there. But outside of that, Max, just kind of chilling. How about yourself? Yeah, I uh, haven't been doing too much cooking. I made Nashville hot Nashville chicken sandwiches for my friends uh, the other day for the Bears game. What another excitement that one was to watch, Sean, uh, being a Bears fan. But uh, the sandwiches were at least really good, so that was uh, that was a good uh, thing. Other than that, same thing. Just been trying to keep my uh, you know nose in work. You know, listening to the updates on the election. Trying not to be overly anxious, although I was uh, Tuesday night, I think, you know, most of the country just, you know, it is what it is type of deal at that point. But um, I say let's get moving into the realm of sports here, as we don't talk again too much politics here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. But this week for bids and snows, we got some great players. Uh, starting off with the bid side, and that's Vince Wilfork versus Elvis Doomerville. Very good players of their generation. Sean, do you want to start with Elvis Doomerville? Yeah, Doomerville was a defensive end mainly for the Broncos and for the Ravens. And he's in the 100-sack club uh, in the NFL. 105.5 sacks throughout 162 games throughout his career. He led the league in sacks once with 17 in 2009. He had four seasons, though, with double-digit figure sacks throughout his career 23 forced fumbles and 13 fumbles recovered as well he's a five-time pro bowler and a two-time all pro first team player i feel like that's a pretty strong argument for a hall of fame case but we'll have to see what vince wilford puts up against him before we decide who moves on this week Alrighty, I'll take this side on Vince Wilfork. Well, he was not the uh, sax guy that Doomerville was. That would be the only ding I would say to his career is he had 16 sacks. But you got to think about it. Vince Wilfork was probably the best run defender of our generation, or at least the top two or three that I've ever seen. Uh, this guy did crazy things to stop the run. I'd like to get more of those metrics if he get moves on here. But beyond those metrics on the on the realm of schemes, he was a five-time Pro Bowler, Sean, a two-time All-Pro. He appeared in four Super Bowls, winning two of them, one in his rookie year in 2004 and one with his very last year with the uh, New England Patriots in 2014. His 24 playoff games ranks 10th all-time, and his 22 playoff starts ranks 9th all-time. Again, just showing what a consistently great player he was for those Belichick teams. Again, especially stopping the run. 
he played in 189 out of 208 possible games in the regular season, meaning he wasn't injured that much. He was a force to be reckoned with. He still ate healthy, and he contributed again to a lot of winning teams. Like I said, four Super Bowl appearances, taking home two of those rings. And some of these great run metrics, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't want to get into him all today, but I'm telling you, this guy is a once-in-a-generational player who deserves to be in Canton, and I think at least deserves, Sean, the chance and the respect to go one more round. Fair enough, fair enough. Let's move on to the snub side now. I'll go first with my guy was Leroy Butler, a strong safety for his 11-year career with the Green Bay Packers. One big thing that he had, 38 interceptions, absolute ball hawk. One of those returned mm-hmm. for a pick six, 13 forced fumbles, and 10 fumbles recovered. Throughout his career, he was a four-time Pro Bowler and four-time All-Pro first team. One-time Pro Bowl champ in 1996 with Brett Favre, and he's a member of the Hall of Fame All-1990s team. I feel like that's a pretty solid resume as well, but why don't you tell me a little bit about your guy Lynch? Yeah, I mean, everyone knows who John Lynch is. He's a nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, and he was a Super Bowl champion back in 2002 with the Buccaneers under head coach John Gruden and, of course, defensive uh, coordinator Tony Dungy, who I think really helped make Lynch a special player in the National Football League. He had 1,059 tackles, 727 of those were solo, Sean, putting him in the top 50 in the NFL all-time list at 47th in that department, 26 career interceptions, 13 sacks, 16 forced fumbles, and is in the ring of honor for both the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which he should be. But even the four years he played with Denver, that's how much of an impact he made that they selected him for their ring of honor um i like what you had to say though about leroy the thing about lynch is uh the 26 interceptions and 13 sacks and forced fumbles are all less and he did it over a longer career and i would say he had lynch had just as much of an important factor of being on that 2002 super bowl team as leroy butler did with the 96 packers so I go statistically, Leroy Butler's a little bit better in a lot of those departments um, and played again and did it again in less seasons. So I, I'm good with Leroy Butler moving on here, but I do think Lynch is a, is a good, strong candidate. Fair enough, fair enough. We're going to wrap it up here for the first block on the show today. And when we come back, we're going to talk all things about NFL. You're listening to Sportsaholics Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway.
grab him by the pussy? Welcome back. That was DJ Cummerbund yet again with one of his tunes. That one was Long Train Culting. That was a mix of Cult Personality by Living Color and Long Train Running by the Doobie Brothers. That was a pretty groovy tune in my opinion. I'm not sure about you think about that one, Max, but I thought that, that was good. one of his more uh, more fun tunes to listen to. Anyways, some not-so-fun news to kick off our NFL block. A lot of teams right now are dealing with some COVID concerns. I know that was a big concerns throughout the whole season every week we feel like there's some teams to talk about who has COVID but this week we've got some pretty pretty big news Chicago Tribune reporting that the Bears are closed closed their facilities earlier this morning after Cody Whitehair and Jason Spriggs both tested positive for coronavirus and they also put Jermaine Effetti in quarantine due to his close qu- contact with Spriggs uh, Wednesday this week the 49ers placed four players on the COVID reserve list but they're still slated to play the, the Packers later this evening for the Thursday night game. The Texans closed their facilities earlier today after a player tested positive. ESPN confirming that that player was linebacker Jacob Martin. So that leaves these teams with COVID concerns heading into week nine. San Francisco 49ers, the Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions, the Denver Broncos, Baltimore Ravens, Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans, and the Indianapolis Colts along with the Bears and the Texans now. So, the league announced Wednesday eight players and 17 personnel had confirmed positive tests throughout the previous week. Still going around throughout the league. It's uh, it's a big concern, and we thought it was going to be a big concern with this much close contact in the sport of football. Max, you surprised by any of this? Yes, no. I mean, I think with the second rounds of coronavirus coming around, it is the flu season. So I do think there is going to be a slight increase here. You know, now is the question is how well can the uh, NFL mitigate it? You know, how much can we, you know, decrease the number of cases now from a week to week basis? What you don't want to see is an uproar here in cases. The NFL obviously cannot afford to do that they do not want to go to a week 18 they keep discussing that sean and they do not want to push back the super bowl uh anymore so that you know to keep games going you're going to have to keep these cases down so more testing uh you know the more testing protocols the next few few weeks uh the better and the safer the smarter the nfl is going to be and look i agree i agree uh, anyways, there's not really any other news in the NFL to talk about this week, so we figured we would have a couple of games of the week to Let's do discuss. It. I figured right now we would start off with the Sunday night football game. That would be Saints at Bucks, and this is going to be the second matchup between Breeze and Brady this year. This And Breeze going after the first time that Brady would ever fall to a divisional foe in the same year getting swept. Wow. So... Wow. Max, on this one, I think offensively, Alvin Kamara leads the NFL with 987 total yards from scrimmage. That would be ranking second in the league 
as well with 55 grabs and 556 yards in the air. Drew Brees has completed 185 passes for just shy of 1,900 yards with 13 touchdowns and three interceptions. Brees owned a 73.1% completion percentage and currently ranked first in the NFL in 106.5 passer rating. So right now, Saints offense is looking good. It's their defense that might be where their struggles are coming from. Max, where are they going to have to step up um, defensively comparatively to the Bucks offense? Well, they are, they're going to definitely have to step it up in, in, pass, uh, in, in pass rush and in the secondary. I mean, Tom Brady's not looking any older, Sean. He's got 20 touchdowns in, compared to just four interceptions. His 2,189 yards is fourth most in the NFL right now. I mean, this guy, just again, he just keeps putting it on. They're averaging 30.9 points a game, Sean, which is fourth in the NFL. And most of it's through the air again. 265 yards of it's through the air. That's eighth in the NFL. So they're going to have to put pressure on, on Brady, uh, I think, to, you know, to succeed in this game without a doubt. Hands down. The, the, the key to the game would be to stop Brady. I mean, if you stop Brady, you stop all the weapons he can throw to. Also, this will be the first week that Antonio Brown can get receptions. There were oh, some that's right. He might get some limited that's receptions. Right. He might get all the receptions. You never really know. And we'll find out that on Sunday night. Other Sunday game to look forward to would be the 6-2 and two Bills taking on the 6-1 and one Seahawks yeah, this is in be a good Buffalo one. for the noon start Sunday on Fox. After starting 6-2, and two, the Bills have the fourth toughest remaining schedule. No exception kicking off the second half of the season, taking on the Seahawks. Seattle defense is last in the leagues in, in yards allowed and averaged 30 more yards, allowing average 30 more yards a game than the next worst defense. So if Josh Allen can keep up with Wilson and company's offense, the you know, regardless of whether or not he's struggled lately, if they don't have to rely if they can rely on that defense to keep that offense down on Seattle's side which has only really allowed 31 points over the last two games. I think there's a chance that the Bills can go 7-2 and two here. However, same thing goes but for Seattle, isn't it, Max? Yeah, no, I mean, you you credit it. They really don't have much of a defense besides Bobby Wagner, who's got 74 tackles, which is fourth in the NFL right now. Other than that, it's not... A, it's you know it, it, they're a scoring offense, Sean. They're averaging they're averaging thirty four point three points a game, which is the best in the NFL. They're third in passing at two hundred eighty nine yards. Obviously, you got to give all that credit to Russell Wilson, who's putting on an MVP like performance, over two thousand yards passing, twenty six touchdowns, six interceptions. He's obviously going to try to find his guy DK Metcalf, who's got uh, six hundred eighty yards, fourth best in, in the league right now. Seattle's rush attack is 12th in the league, Sean, so they're going to have to uh, account uh, account for that as well, With you know, especially with Chris Carson. But uh, it's going to be a good game. We'll see how well they can slow down Josh Allen and the Bills. I mean, Allen right now, fifth most passing yards. Diggs, uh, Stefan Diggs, their star wide receiver with 695 yards. That's second in the NFL. These guys are a great quarterback and wide receiver uh, uh, tandem right now. And, and Seattle's very weak in that secondary. Very, very weak. So it'll be fun to see that. It'll be uh, fun to see the air game on both, on both sides. That's for sure. I agree. I agree. It's going to be a fun weekend of matchups all around the NFL. If they can go on, we don't really know. A lot of teams are going 
with issues right now with COVID. So we will see. However, before then, we're going to talk about some more college football as well. As we've not really talked much about it this fall, we're going to get into more of that coming up here on the other side of this break here on the Sportsholics Podcast. We here on the Sportsaholic Podcast recognize those who have unique disabilities. One fun and fantastic way to showcase those talents is by joining your local Special Olympics squad. Through Special Olympics, you will learn to be part of a team, add additional skill sets, learn the true definition of sportsmanship, and most importantly, have some fun. So become an athlete, become a coach, become a volunteer, be part of Special Olympics. We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. As Sean was saying, we really haven't talked a lot about college football just yet. Just because the NBA and the NHL seasons are closing, we'll probably put most of that news, unless it's super breaking news, into what we missed. So, Sean, let's get into some football action. Uh, The AP Top 5 right now sits at Clemson, number 1. Your team in Bama at number 2. No surprise there, Ohio State number three, Notre Dame number four, and Georgia number five. I think that list so far is looking good. I know Ohio State hasn't played as many games as Clemson or or as Notre Dame yet or any of that, but I think overall we're looking at a pretty solid top five. I agree. They're solid teams. You can't really argue with any of them. I mean, maybe Notre Dame, except for this year, Notre Dame's playing in a conference, so that goes there goes that argument about them not being as strong. And, you know, it's going to be really hard to, to judge them after this week, depending on how the outcome of their game is. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but Clemson will be going another week without Trevor Lawrence, and they really struggled last week in their comeback win against Boston College. So they'll be under the helm of DJ Uwiangalale, who is their backup quarterback, and that'll be heading into this weekend's matchup. Big ACC matchup. Top four matchup between Notre Dame and Clemson. Max, why don't you give us a quick preview? Yeah, obviously. I mean, this is going to be a great game, Sean. You got the number one and number four team. And actually, like you said, this year they are uh, divisional opponents. So, um Let's talk about this. Obviously, this is the big game here for uh, Notre Dame. This is their, you know, this is their game, so to speak. I mean, if you look at what they've done in their previous six games, their easy wins: thir- 27-13 versus Duke, fifty-seven nothing over USF. What well, uh, the Wake Forest game got postponed because the uh, coronavirus, but. 42 to 26 over a weak Florida State team this year. They squeaked out a win versus Louisville, 12 to 7. They routed Pittsburgh, 45 to 3, and they beat upon Georgia Tech, 31 to 13. So maybe this isn't the strong, but they're going to come in and play this game with the vengeance. Because if you can beat Clemson, you're probably going to uh, lock yourself into the college football playoff finals. Uh, Obviously, Sean Ian Book, the quarterback, he's going to have to have a career game. He's got 1,200 yards passing for seven touchdowns and one interception with six rushing touchdowns on the year. Last year, he had 34-6, to though, in the touchdown-interception ratio and a lot more yards uh, uh, thrown at this part point of the season. So it's going to be a lot. Uh, it's going to be up to him to get past Notre Dame's uh, 80th passing in the country right now. 
So we'll see what he can do. On the running side, Sean, they're 12th, though, in the FBS, averaging 231 yards a game. Kyron Williams looking good, 600 yards rushing on the season with six rushing touchdowns. And uh, Chris Tyree, 6.6 yards per carry with two rushing touchdowns. He's a nice compliment. So we'll see how well Notre Dame's run uh Go, uh, game goes against them. For Clemson, it's real simple, exactly. It's going to be uh, their backup quarterback uh, replacing uh, Lawrence. He did a nice job last week against Boston College. He's completed 73% of his passes, 342 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, six carries, and a rushing touchdown last week. So if he can rep uh, replicate that type of success, I think He'll do very well against Notre Dame. And, of course, how well can Brett Venables prepare his defense? He's been there since 2012. Look for Balin Spector, who leads the team with 39 tackles, Sean, to be a difference in the game for Clemson this week. What do you got for the SEC game of the week between Georgia and uh, number 8 Florida? So Florida will be going to Georgia to take on the Bulldogs. Both teams with a loss each. Florida defense rose up for sure last week against Missouri, but the secondary has still seen quite a bit of questionable, you know, play, giving up over 200 yards in all four games with just one interception, allowing an average of 7.7 .7 yards per pass. That gives Stetson Bennett an opportunity to keep the chains moving. Florida offense, though, has been also very big, been very consistent. The running game has worked when it needed, but it's the passing game that's been dominant. Trask has thrown for over. 400 fewer yards, just I mean, has thrown over 400 fewer yards than what Burrow's 2019 four-game pace was set for the beginning of the season. Oh wow! Wow. But has thrown only, but has also thrown one more touchdown pass that'd be 18 to 17 in comparison to what Burrow did last year. Wow! And the same number of interceptions with just three so far. He's not quite bombing away deep like Burrow did in the first four games, but the 9.6 yards per pass are absolutely choice. No, and abs uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that kid's been uh, playing his heart out. I think, Sean, to be honest with you, he's a Heisman uh, candidate now that Trevor Lawrence has been in, uh, you know, placed on COVID. He's going to miss, you know, two games that's going to hurt his chances. The numbers you gave on him, I thought, are, are alarming. He's got a 90.4 QBR rating this year, which is fourth best in the country. And he's killed it. If you, you always say this, Sean, the SEC is the best conference. He's killed it against his conference. I know against some maybe less of the fortunate teams, Ole Miss and uh, South Carolina and Texas A&M and Mizzou. I go, Texas A&M is a little bit better, but the other three, not as good. But he's put up at least four touchdowns in each one of those games, including six to that uh, opener for against uh, Ole Miss. So I actually really like him coming off, uh, off the bat to win this Heisman this year. What are you saying? Uh, you know Heisman numbers if he's comparable to Joe Burrow as well. But right now, I've also liked the play of Mac Jones, a quarterback that replaced Tua Tagovailoa last season after his injury and is now the starter for the tie. Jones had his third four-touchdown game of the season, connecting with Devontae Smith on all of his scores, and finished with 291 passing yards to help lead Bama to the 41-0 blowout over Mississippi State. Jones is third in the nation in passing yards, with, 20, with just under 2,200, just four yards shy of 2,200, and fourth in completion percentage at 78.5, and has a 16-2 to two touchdown interception ratio in those six games this season. Outside of Jones, another quarterback I like, 
Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is in the mix, but since he has COVID right now and he's not playing, we're going to talk about different quarterbacks this week to talk about. Justin Fields from Ohio State in those first two games, he kept his strong start going, completing 28 of 34 passes, 318 yards, and four touchdowns, including two to Lindenhurst's uh, Jeremy Ruckert in a five primetime win over Penn State. He has thrown for 594 yards and six touchdowns of an 87.3 completion percentage rate in two games. Dang, man, that is, yeah. No, those are definitely all the guys to look out for. Those are good stats, though, Sean. I think any one of those guys, even Lawrence, you know, still depending on how he finishes the season, could still be very much in the running. But let's take a quick break here, Sean, on the Sportsholic podcast. And on the flip side of this uh, break, we'll get into everything Major League Baseball, but really the awards, the Gold Glove. Award winners have been announced, and the finalists for all the other major awards have been listed. So me and Sean will break that down here in just a moment, right here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sportsaholic Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. Welcome back to the Sportsaholic Podcast. All right, Sean, let's get into breaking down these awards here for what is the end of the Major League Baseball season. The Gold Glovers have been announced. And in the National League, Sean, none other than my Cub first baseman, Anthony Rizzo has won his third uh, straight gold glove award and his fourth in the last five years. No surprise that he took it home once again in the NL. What do we have in the AL? In the AL, we have got at first base, the winner being Evan White. He was the 17th overall pick in 2017. This is his first gold glove for this year. Um, you know, he had a pretty... Pretty good season. He uh, led all first basemen with seven defensive runs saved. That'd be two more than any other AL position player throughout the league. Dang, dang. Uh, Colton Wong, obviously the NL uh, Gold Glove winner for second base. He's done it now in consecutive season. He is just a beast up the middle for the Cardinals. It'll be interesting to see where he goes in free agency. Exactly, exactly. At second base for the AL from Cleveland, Cesar Hernandez. He had a solid season all around with his debut with the Indians. Pretty dang good uh, defensive campaign throughout his career. I'd say probably one of his best defensive showing. He had six defensive runs saved and a career best of .8 defensive war in route to taking his first gold glove. Damn. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, shortstop, my guy too, Javier Baez. Uh, this is, man, this is his first gold glove, which you would think, um, you would think that this would be like his 40th gold glove, just the way he plays out there. He is one of the best, uh, again, in the game at the position. Gotta love El Mago. Congratulations, Javi Baez. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if this one was warranted. He did not have a great season this year, but I, I just don't think the writers were really watching baseball that much. Why would you? In the AL side, we had J.P. Crawford taking it up. He had a negative nine defensive runs saved at shortstop over the previous three seasons, and he racked up a six defensive runs saved in 2020. That'd be the second best among shortstops in the American League. This would be his first gold glove of his career. Yeah, and claiming his eighth shot would be an eighth in a row in as many seasons as Nolan Arenado in Colorado. This guy is just truly a premier defensive player. He had 15 uh, defensive runs saved, and those were more than three more than any other player at any position. So that's incredible. This guy, though, year in and year out, he is fun to watch at the hot corner. And then in the AL from Texas, we had Isaiah Kiner-Falefa taking the gold glove for third base in the American League. It was his first season, actually, as a uh, full-time infielder, but didn't really slow him down defensively after splitting time between catcher and various infield positions. Over his first two seasons, he had his first full season as an infielder and was top 10 in infielders defended defenders by its out above average metric this season while settling in at third place position solid solid uh tyler and neil this uh this will be st louis's second glove he racked up nine defensive saves shine left field which led all left fielders in the game this year not a surprise and not a surprise for your guy either yeah you know i was I'm saying this very sarcastically so everyone knows ahead of time, but I'm very surprised Aloy Jimenez did not win the gold glove for left field. <laughs> but yeah. Alex Gordon from Kansas City, who announced his retirement actually at right, the end of the season, right. took home his eighth and final gold glove of his career. 36-year-old capped off a career by winning four consecutive gold gloves, matching his four other gold glove streak from 2011 to 2014. Yeah, no, he is, I mean, man, this guy, again, World Series champ and everything. Congratulations to uh, Alex Gordon on what has just been a great career. Next part, though, would be Trent Grisham for San Diego, winning his first uh, gold glove after pacing all NL center fielders with seven defensive runs saved. And then my boy Luis Roberts yeah. from Chicago there White Sox. Got his first gold glove of, I'm going to assume, many gold gloves throughout his career. He was tied for the league among MLB center fielders and stat casts out above average metric at plus seven. The rookie phenom also racked up eight defensive run saves. That was third among AL center fielders behind only Byron Buxton and Kevin Kerminer. So he had a pretty phenomenal rookie season, especially defensively speaking. Yeah, and this guy always has a great year defensively speaking. Sean, that's Mookie Betts, who won his fifth consecutive gold glove and right. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, AL, NL, it doesn't matter where you put him. Fenway, Dodgers Stadium, this guy knows how to play defense. He's one of the best in the league. In fact, he's going to be one of the guys we talked for about MVP here in just a second. But who do we get for the AL? That'd be Joey Gallo, and honestly, I think only one person in the entire league might have worked harder on defense this year than him. That'd be Nolan Arenado. The man had yeah. 12 defensive run saves in right field for Texas Rangers. Wow! And honestly, that's that's the second most, or that's the most in in in, in I should say out of all outfielders, and obviously the second most 
in the MLB this past season. Yeah, that's just surprising for such a big guy. I would have never thought this guy would have ever been able to play. I thought he would have been a first base, you know, maybe at best DH. But no, wow, he's really saving those runs out there in left field. So keep him there, Rangers. Uh, NL winner for uh, gold glove for catcher would be Tucker Barnhart. He claimed his second gold glove. Uh, He also took home the honor back in 20. 17. He led all major league catchers, Sean, with nine defensive runs saved this year. All right. And then we had Roberto Perez from Cleveland as the gold glove winner for the AL. Perez had another phenomenal year behind the plate. He led all catchers in 2019 with 30 defensive runs saved. Obviously not going to get 30 in a shortened season, but he had six and led all AL catchers with six defensive runs saved behind the plate for Cleveland, that'd be twice as many as anyone else at the position this season. Wow. Uh, most for a pitcher this year with defensive runs with five saved would be Max Freed, a guy who I thought might win the NL Cy Young. We'll get to that in a second. He, he'll definitely, again, be winning all the gold glove. Wow. Just in 56 innings of work, too, to have five defensive runs saved. That's, that's impressive. That's really, really impressive. No wonder why he's the... Uh, Gold Glove winner for the National League. And then for the first time in the AL, Griffin Canning from the Angels earned his his inaugural, I should say, Gold Glove award after notching three defensive runs saved the season. That would tie Nathan Avialda, or excuse me, for uh, second most, or that would be tied for the most among AL hurlers. Canning became the first Angels pitcher to take home the Gold Glove since Mark Langston in 1995. Max, let's move on. To the awards finalists. Let's do it. I figured I'll just speed through real quick with the AL MVP and you tell me the Nationals, okay? Yes. I still think it's going to be Jose Abreu taking it for the AL MVP, but behind him is DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees and the Indians has Jose Ramirez. Who do we got in the National League? Yeah, I agree with you on Abreu, too. Uh, you, right now it's a three-way race between Mookie Betts, who we talked about, Freddie Freeman, and uh, Manny Machado. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, Freddie Freeman. I should say, I think it's going to be Mookie Betts here. It should be Freeman, but I think Betts will get it because he obviously brought his team to the promised land this year. I agree, I agree. Cy Young, no surprise here. Shane Bieber leading the pack with Kenta Maeda and Hinjin Ryu behind them in the Cy Young Award for the AL. What about the NL? Yeah, he's obviously going to win that one with the triple crown, Sean. No biggie. Uh, this one's at the tightest race, I would say, between Trevor Bauer, Jacob deGrom, and you uh, Darvish. It would not surprise me to see deGrom win his third straight, though. All right, moving on to Rookie of the Year. We got Christian Javier from the Astros. Kyle Lewis from the Mariners. I still think he's going to win. And then Luis Robert, who looked to be a front runner in the beginning, but kind of fizzled out there in September to give it more towards Kyle Lewis, in my humble opinion. Max, who are the rookies taking it in the National League? Uh, in the National League here, Sean, we got Alec Brahm from the Phillies, Jake Cronenworth from San Diego, and Devin Williams from Milwaukee. Uh, I know Williams is a, is a relief pitcher, Sean, but I almost like him to do to win this for the uh, for this reason. He allowed one run in 27 e- innings. Well, that's a .33 ERA while posting a .63 WHIP, and he struck out a jaw-dropping 53 batters. Uh, I 
I know those other guys play more innings and everything, but man, that you just don't see that out of the bullpen on a day-to-day basis. And for a shortened season, what the hell? Why not give it to a reliever? Alrighty, alrighty. Manager of the year, final awards to talk go through real quick. Finalists being the Rays manager Kevin Cash, which after his debacle in the World Series, you'd seriously have to reconsider giving him an award like manager of the year. But his his competition, not really much to choose from. Charlie Montoya from the Blue Jays, and then Rick oh, Renneria from the White Sox. Well, please. So it's between Cash and Montoya, in my opinion. Max, who do we got for the National League? Well, you have uh, Don Mattingly, who took his team from 105 games to make the playoffs. David Ross, who took the Cubs to a division title in his first year as a manager and date jace tingler the guy who i think deserves it the most though from san diego sean you look at how bad san diego was last year they let go of andy green their coach and this guy came in and did a great job to uh take uh kansas city or i'm sorry san diego to the postseason uh first time since 2006 so very impressive we'll see what tingler can do in year number two fair enough fair enough we'll have the results from the awards for next week, whatever has been done, they're, they're going on Monday through Thursday next week for the announcements. So whatever we do, we can get to, we'll have those announced. On top of that, we're heading into hot stove yes, season, Max. Yes, we're going to talk all the fun absolutely. things heading into free agency. There won't be any winter meetings this year, but that doesn't mean there are not going to be some big moves. Trevor Bauer already declining the Reds' qualifying offer, but he says it's not ruling out a return to Cincinnati for next season. He just wants... A different offer to come up. We'll have that and more next week on the Sportsaholics podcast. We're going to take a quick break here and go to our final lap where Max will have some trivia. I'll have my drink of the week and we'll have much more. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Actually, Sean, we're literally back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast as well. We had some technical difficulty issues so uh, we did most of the podcast yesterday, but we had to come back and do a little bit today. I'm glad I was able to find some time on my lunch break during work today, Sean. But either way, I got a quick trivia question concerning the gold gloves, which is something that we went over in the podcast uh, again yesterday. All righty. So your trivia question today, Sean, involves your beloved White Sox. I figured you'd like this. Since 1990. Six White Sox players have won a gold glove, including Luis Robert, who we again mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, So, Sean, who are the five other White Sox players to win a gold glove since 1990? Some guys did it once. Some guys did it multiple times. I'm just looking for the five names. Well, I know uh, Yolmer Sanchez won one in 2019. He won one last year. That'd be one of the names. Okay, I believe Ozzie Guillen won one with the White Sox as well. He was the guy in 1990. Okay, my boy Mark Burley won a couple with the White Sox. 
Uh, in fact, he won three consecutive from 2009 to 2011. And then this guy actually, believe it or not, won the, uh, in 2012. Same position as Burley, too. I would have never have thought oh, this guy would have ever that'd be, um That'd be Jake Peavy. Yeah, Jake Peavy. I would have never thought that guy would have ever, ever won a, a gold glove. Great pitcher. Not necessarily great with the glove, but apparently in 2012 he was good enough. Uh, one more guy. This guy won five, Sean. One f- oh, that'd be Robin Ventura. Yeah, Robin Ventura. People always forget uh, what a great what a great defensive third baseman he was. But yeah, those are your uh, six players who have won a gold glove as a member of the White Sox since 1990. Good job on that quiz. What are you sipping on, sir? Well, Max, uh, don't have a beer this week, actually. I'm doing a cocktail. You know, fall's Ooh. finally here. I know I've been saying I was going to do pumpkin beer since I'm a little pumpkin slut. But yes, yes. I, uh, I didn't get any beer this week. But I did mix hot apple cider, like local apple cider, with, uh, with salted caramel-flavored moonshine from the Old Smoky Distillery out of Tennessee. So that was absolutely fantastic. Man, that does sound really good, actually. Man, that sounds really, really uh, tasty. I'm not crazy again on hard liquor, but that that's something I would definitely try a cup of. Oh, yeah. It's really good, especially when you are, uh, you know, when you're getting a little chilly at night and want a nice little uh, warm boost. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. That uh, warm shot of adrenaline, as we like to say. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, anything, uh, anything else, or should we get into what we missed? What do we miss, Max? All right, well, it's actually almost good that we did have to come back and re-record today because three things actually got finalized over the night, Sean. Uh, first being the Boston Red Sox. They have hired a manager. In fact, they have rehired a manager. Is it Alex Cora will be back in Boston. I know, Sean, between me and you, we do not like this move whatsoever. We thought he should have been banned from baseball. That is not the case. He will get a second chance and a second chance Again, to be at the Red Sox helm. Uh, we'll maybe get into more of that next week. Uh, last night, the uh, National Basketball Players Association Board of Representatives voted to approve a plan for a December 22nd start to the season that includes a 70 uh, reduced 72-game schedule. That was one of the uh, big things they were talking about is how many games. It hasn't been fully negotiated yet, but it, again, we do have the start, and it will be really nice, Sean, to have basketball on Christmas, which is obviously a huge moneymaker for the NBA uh, the NBPA uh, said in a statement, additional details remain to be negotiated and the NBPA is confident that the parties will reach an agreement on these remaining issues relevant to the upcoming season. I am confident that they will as well, Sean, so that will be fun to get that start, uh, again, at least starting on December 22nd, so just a couple weeks away. Last thing that got finalized, Sean, last night is the MLS playoff, uh, or the Cup playoffs. They will kick off on November 20th, so that is two weeks from today, and they will go all the way until December 12th. So if you enjoy soccer, that that is coming right around the corner as well. What do we got in Fight Corner? In Fight Corner, we've got a UFC fight night this weekend between Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira. Tiago Santos, 21-7. and Coming off a July 2019 loss by decision to John Jones. While Tashura 
He's coming off that round five knockout win over Anthony Smith back in May. Both looking to add the next win to their column and avoid that eighth loss in the loss column. So we'll have the recap of those. We'll have a few more matchups in the bids and snubs, as well as the awards handed out. We had the Silver Slugger awards handed out as well, but those aren't really, I, I mean, I could really care less about those, to be honest. Um, but we'll have the, the MVP, the Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, and the um, and the Cy Young announced for next week's show. Until then, I'm going to have a few more drinks, Max. Hey, there you go. Exactly. Loosen up. It's only noon here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. I got to get back to work, though, Sean, so I'll make this quick uh, as we wrap up. Obviously, uh, we talked earlier in the show about... Uh, elections and just what's been going on in this country. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you are. Obviously, it's a high-ridden anxiety time. But uh, I thought this was a good quote, though, just for, again, where our time is at, what we've seen in 2020. 2020 has been definitely uh, a questionable and insane year, to say the least. And obviously, elections is kind of like the, I guess, the last piece of it. And Nelson Mandela had this to say many years ago. He said, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. And that's kind of what I hope people did when they voted. Uh, and I, again, hope people voted in the uh, right way to, you know, hopefully again, start getting our country back in order. But we won't go too far into politics, Sean. So I think that's a good way of leaving this show uh, I want to give thanks to DJ Cumberbund for providing his music today to all the fans and listeners. We appreciate you. Keep on listening. Sign off for Sean Conway. I'm Max Zucker. Have a good rest of your weekend right here on the Sports Hall Podcast. <laughs>